everyone. I'm Tish Conlon for another episode of Tish Talk. Today, I have a fan favorite and a fellow Canadian, an amazing patriot, a genius uh, in history and geopolitical events from my perspective. He's modest, but what an, an influence he's had. Matthew Errett, uh, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, Tish. Thank you for having me back. Oh, it's always awesome to talk to you. Today, a lot of people want to hear your perspective. What the blank is going on around the world? Things, it's been hot and heavy. I mean, for someone who studies history, this must be a fascinating time for you, um, looking at all these elements, you know, deep state pillars and, and all these countries taking moves and then other forces that appear to be for the good. Um, I know um, Elon Musk described what's happening in the world, if you have eyes to see, as forces existential threat, like you have people, the, those who want uh, humanity go extinct, and then those are who are pro-humanity. That's serious, uh, what he said. But what do you think is going on? And can you give us an update, um, you know, in in an abbreviated form? I know you could go for hours. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to, to make it succinct. I guess, as your viewers undoubtedly are aware to varying degrees, and as you just pointed out very, very well in your in your introductory remarks, the world is being pushed through a very historic moment. There, there was a, a man who I, I recently passed away in 2019, whom I admire quite a bit by the name of Lyndon LaRouche, who I've spoken to you about in the, in the past. And he had given... A, uh, a mental image back in the 1990s when explaining the systemic breakdown that would be inevitable if systemic changes were not made beforehand. He was already predicting very, very clearly and for the right reasons why the current transatlantic system was going to melt down in a, uh, a chain reaction collapse begun by the overinflated speculative assets that are detached from reality and the unpayable array of debts that have been securitized by private uh, banking institutions and gambled upon and also turned into derivatives as well on top of everything else, this has been a bubble that replaced our once viable financial system. So we once had in Canada and the United States um, economies based on industrial progress. So when you were calculating GDP in the 50s and the 1960s, you were understanding that you were looking not just at um, mathematical numbers that you wanted to increase year to year, you were looking at the shadow of a physical and productive process, agro-industrial, that was tied to physical realities pertaining to the energy basket, the infrastructure that you had brought online, that you had maintained, improved upon, or abrogated those responsibilities, right, such that you would do things that involve what we did, which is Think more myopically about short-term gains without a consideration of are these gains tied to reality? Are you building anything? Are you improving things or not? Are you just speculating with other people's money or with unpayable debts? Is that what you're doing? Because if that's what you're doing, then you might think that your your economy is improving or growing, but in, in reality, it's deindustrializing. You're losing your ability to reproduce your society into the next generation. That is being lost. And then on top of that, to make it a bit more complicated, but still must be brought in to this line of, of reasoning, you're losing your cultural fortitude, the very culture that imparts moral values to the young, um, that, that shapes the characters of the people who will go on and make decisions as they go into becoming leaders in the next generation. That cultural field is being turned mediocre and corrupt. And that's really where 
uh, the greatest self-damage has been caused by our decision to go into a, a consumer society mode back in the early 1970s, which not coincidentally, as LaRouche, who was, he was already a very active political figure running for, for the presidency of the United States back in the early 70s. He, I think, got politically active with his organization in the late 60s. Wow. Um, he was already, you could read his writings, look at his speeches back in those days. He was very clear that the 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 dependency upon oil um as a new form of addiction instead of having i mean that was something that went along with hand in hand the creation of a new imperial strategy of creating forever wars for oil, like the oil wars really began getting underway the need to then justify us military presence overseas abroad especially in countries that had a lot of oil whether in africa or especially the middle east became increasingly uh, uh imp increased uh which meant well what do you do for progressive countries like egypt or afghanistan where people would venture and go for vacation in kabul in the 1960s and 70s you know it was like the paris of the middle east women mm -hmm. were being educated there was it, like take your average snapshot of of uh, tehran or kabul mm -hmm. or a lot of these these middle eastern countries in the 1960s and early 70s and it looked like modern new york cosmo mm -hmm. like cosmopolitan still still you know it Muslim, but very much embracing technology, embracing um, so-called Western values. So that had to end. And that meant funding, uh, radicalizing madrasas as part of the CIA operation that was done under Zbigniew Brzezinski. That was then done to corrupt and and create this, this so-called uh, Islamist virus of radicalizing young men, especially, into uh, becoming effectively jihadi terrorists. That then became what the Western mind was told that, see, that's Islam. And that's why we've created these problems now. This is where Al-Qaeda comes from to begin with. That now justifies U.S. military adventurism into these countries to get ever more control over their oil like we did over uh, Iraq. We did it in, in Libya. We did it in Syria. Even though we failed to topple Syria, the 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 democratically, um, the actual sovereign government. In Syria of Bashar al-Assad, we failed to to do what we what certain forces wished to have done, but despite that, the U.S. military is still there, controlling eighty percent of Syria's oil and and food, and not giving it to the people who live in Syria. That's still what the U.S. military is still to the, this very day doing. So why am I saying all of this? To get back to your question of um, the collapse was very pre predictable um, when. LaRouche was in the 1990s observing the the trend of the collapse of the physical economy and everybody just becoming brainwashed to only focus on the stock markets the the monetary side it was recognized that if this is if this insanity is permitted to continue without correction it would result in what's known as um um well he used the the imagery of a of a plane going from um regular acceleration in uh, in aerospace right so there's a a, a a a pressure buildup as you increase the speed of a plane to the point that the, the you'll have an, a nearly asymptotic increase of of pressure buildup as you as you move through the atmosphere at faster and faster rates which as you approach the, the sound barrier what's going to happen uh to the plane as you as you move towards the sound barrier it's going to get you're going to have more energy input. It's going to be more difficult to, to to keep from from blowing up, and it will blow up unless the 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 boundary condition that is being passed 
is passed with a new design. You need a new type of design conceptually of uh, of an aeroplane such that by then moving into the new the new domain, mm -hmm. the new the new physical geometry beyond beyond Mach 1, you will be able to then find yourself exerting less effort in terms of energy spent in the machinery of the plane and yet get more you'll be much geometrically faster you'll be getting more effect out but less input in but it's because you totally changed the geometry if you hadn't done that you would have collapsed and so our current system is wired with a geometry systemically that demands a collapse it, it, it's like wired into the system unless you change and the changing is the key and so the the prescriptions that LaRouche was putting forth influenced me greatly as I was younger trying to make sense of the um the the, the fact that you know, 9-11 was an inside job. It seems like there are these nefarious agencies that have taken control of my government even before I was born. That's mm -hmm. something I think most people who have woken up either before COVID or during COVID or whatever, or more, more recently, have come to recognize, okay, there, there are grandstanding conspiracies, very, very ill-intended, um, very, very destructive to our lives and our children's lives. It, I mean, these, these, these are, it's like a, a, yeah. almost like a religious like commitment towards a massive killing off of the, of the population of the earth mm -hmm. to something more manageable. That's very disturbing. So yeah. I was, I was really depressed for some years Yes, and yes. I was, Normal. It's, it's, that's natural. Yes. And, and so I was really hungry for something that would be a viable solution. So what I, when I, this is where I had found myself really resonating uh, to what LaRouche had been bringing to the table since the early 70s as far as alternative pathways, policies that would change the system such that we could both avert this inevitable collapse, this controlled demolition of the economy, while at the same time establish something more based in natural law, more in harmony with our true selves mm -hmm. um, by referring to things that have worked in the past. And so the like program what? of... Well, that's the thing. So when you look at like the miracle of how Canada and the United States ended up having becoming first world countries, it was never because the British Empire, any empire gave us progress. It was always fought for. The story of how the pro the, the the battles towards progress happened have been really obscured. So the the by those who do things like kill JFK, one of the the individuals who was able to usher in one of the brightest bursts of um, technological and industrial progress in recent times. So there, there have been these, um, individuals in the case of the U S there's been seven presidents who died while in office, but they died doing something very important as far as a, at an application of constitutional banking, both to benefit the people, to rein in the control of the private financiers that wanted control over the nation's economy, um, as well as use the national power that they were able to capture, whether Lincoln, whether, it was um, William McKinley, uh, Warren Harding, uh, JFK, FDR. They were looking to other nations abroad to find ways of helping those nations that had been abused, victimized by, by empire and assist them in developing full spectrum economies, whether this was with JFK's collaboration with um, the, the the nationalists of the Congo under... under uh, um, Patrice Lumumba, assassinated by the CIA and MI6 and Belgium intelligence, or whether it was with his work with uh, Kwame Nkrumah in helping Africa build the largest hydroelectric dam that was part of a broader industrialization policy, or wh whether it was Franklin Roosevelt's programs to work with South American leaders to help them industrialize and develop their own Tennessee Valley authorities the way it worked so well in the United States or in the case of Africa or India. He had the same plan. 
which didn't work because he died too soon and the the deep state took over. So this goes back deep into history. And so LaRouche was looking at, well, how can we take these principled lessons and apply them into the modern age to deal with modern problems, but in but using the same principles that that worked of constitutional banking, the utilization of the sovereign nation state in a certain type of way that would benefit the people. And so his program for, for example, in, starting in 2003, he was already calling for reestablishing Glass-Steagall. That was one of the early policies. I remember camping. I was a volunteer for his organization for a decade. And wow. and I would, yeah, we we actually campaigned in Ottawa uh, for the Canadian version of Glass-Steagall to be applied as, here as well to deal with the oncoming economic collapse. We had had uh, many a lot of success with a variety of cities. Burnaby City Council passed our legislation um, in 2000 and what was it now? 2014, 15 um, to get a For Canadian. Those maybe who don't like some people are first time here and they maybe don't know what glass do. Can you just give a quick uh, explanation for 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 newcomers? Great point. Um, so, yeah, definition of terms. Uh, this was a um, a bank act that was done in 1933 as part of a grand strategy of Franklin Roosevelt to end the depression and declare war on Wall Street banks that caused the depression artificially in 1929, creating basically a, using a similar technique as what was done to us more recently with mm -hmm. a controlled bubble economy, the roaring 20s, a lot of speculation, not a lot of production in the, in the 20s, created easy money. But that easy money was based on unpayable what are called broker call loans. So the brokers who were dealing with people's money and, and trying to make money with money um, were able to take loans out that they couldn't pay. And on a cons on a on an orchestrated day, those in the know around J.P. Morgan, um, including many people within the U.S. administration, agreed that this is the day that we're all going to coordinate our calling in of the broken broker call loan. So all brokers on Wall Street have to pay the debts that they have taken out to gamble, which they we know that they cannot do. And by knowing that they cannot do it, we know that they will default. And by knowing that they will default, we know that the whole, all of this illusory money that people mm -hmm. think exists is going to disappear fast. And we're going to go into a chain reaction collapse. And that became what ushered in the, the, the depression. So that was like four years. People were starving. Thousands starved to death across America, across Canada. We saw the Dust Bowl. Um, there was a, a, a wealth transfer as well. For those in the know, they were able to sell their, 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 um, or they, they were able to, sell short, basically sell short what they knew was mm -hmm. going to be defaulted upon. And then they were able to buy up for pennies on the dollar after selling their stocks high. Um, they were able to then, then buy up all of the stocks of the defaulted industries, the real estate, the, the agricultural, former, former agricultural zones that, that the farms went, you know, there were so many farms that went bankrupt. So that was a wealth transfer. Like we'd never seen kind of like similar, again, you could see that we could see this very clearly uh, orchestrated in the same way, similar way today. So FDR did Glass-Steagall as the first necessary measure as part of his 100 Days Bank Reform, the, the Bank Acts, that first involved uh, figuring out which banks are solvent that can be saved, which banks are insolvent. And so mm -hmm. you had to go in with auditors to force the banks for the first time to open up their books. You had to uh, then see, okay, well, what, what is a legitimate asset that's tied to the national security that you want to protect? What is an illegitimate asset that never was authentic to begin with. So after a two-week bank holiday, the banks that passed the audit test or were somehow sal salvageable were reopened under new management. The mm -hmm. new management were then mandated to provide loans in a more responsible manner towards industries, towards people had to like go and submit a reason for 
like why you should get a loan. You couldn't just like say, I can make money with money. You had to say, okay, I've got a, I'm a farmer. I don't have a tractor. I need money for a right. tractor. And, and thus you could justify it. Right. So part of that involved breaking up the speculative banks from the, because all of the banks before Glass-Steagall, before 1933 were merged under these too big to fails. So mm -hmm. people could take these, these brokers could speculate with people's savings and there was no wall separating them. That's what gave rise to the the the, the bubble economy, similar to today's mm -hmm. debt bubbles as well. It's it's that we have what's called today universal banking because Bill Clinton destroyed the bank separation. So Roosevelt said, okay, if you're if you're a commercial bank, you could take savings, you could give loans to commercial industries, that's fine. To farms, that's fine, but you can't gamble on mm -hmm. the speculative markets. That's a different thing. He didn't say you're not allowed to gamble. But if you are going to be a gambler wanting to make money with money, you can't access the real economy. You have to, you're taking out a risk and you're not going to be bailed out. Only the commercial banks that are going to be part of the healthy economy will receive a government guarantee under the, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. That was seems, a new entity. Yeah, hmm? seems reasonable. Like, seems like a great idea. Like, uh, yeah. in Canada and around the world, if we had that in place, the situation now might be totally different. Yeah, and we did have that. We did have that in place. So in the Canadian versions, we had the Canadian Development Insurance uh, Corporation, mm -hmm. um, that 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 covered uh, people who whose banks went bankrupt in Canada or the USA up to a, a tune of I think a hundred a hundred thousand dollars. Um, so that nobody would lose everything, no matter what. There was a safety net. There was also social security and other things to protect people, so that you know it's not like. If you didn't save up and now you don't have a job because you're you're too old to work, it doesn't mean you're going to die on the street. You know, it's like common yeah. sense things you would want to have. Um, and in the case of Canada, we had a, a Canadian Glass-Steagall as well called the Four Pillars. And this was brought in in the uh, in the late 40s. And uh, it was, I think, an initiative of William Lyon Mackenzie King and uh, C.D. Howe and a few others in the in a very different liberal party of the 40s than the current one that we've <laughs> we've got yes. now. Yeah. Uh, um, but it was a pro-industrial orientation. And they basically did the same thing, um, said, if you want, if you're a trust, you can do trust stuff. If you're a, an investment bank, you can do investment bank stuff. If you're a, you're right. a savings bank, that's what you do. But you don't you can't do all at once. And that was taken down in Canada's case in 1986. In the wake I of know. the, well, it was Mulrooney. That was part yeah, of the. He did a condition. lot of damage, didn't he? <laughs> oh man, he just he just ran roughshod over I'm, everything. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think who's the worst. It seems obvious that it's Trudeau, but who knows? Mulrooney did a huge amount of damage too. Uh, uh, anyways, yeah. Yeah. people are worried now that they could lose their money with all the banks failing, but we still have the CDIC. We still have the some protection in the Canadian banking system. Just someone just asked me that question. We have some protection for our money. From your yeah, opinion. but we do. We, like every Canadian is guaranteed. I think it's a, a little over a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. yeah, each account. Yeah, each account. Um, and that's fine. But at the same time, the the magnitude of the current crisis is such that one could say very clearly there isn't that money available. If there's a systemic broad uh total bankruptcy of the of the banks, um, there isn't anything close to being able to cover the the loss the the deposit the deposits that would be uh claimed. So, so, so we have like, like we have a banking crisis of like massive proportions. Now you as who studied history, along with it, we have, you know, moral decay of epic proportions. I mean, we have such a drug, um, a, you know, drug 
problem with our youth, probably the highest suicides, at least in Canada. I'm not sure the figures in the States, Western oh. countries. Um, you know, when I go out and campaign, you see people in such disarray, hopelessness and apathy. You know, we have a political crisis where you can see the the, the, the depth of corruption, our judges, and, and this is not just Canada, the U.S., and they're uh, appointed and you see that we don't have a fair system. I mean, it, there's so many pillars. The economy is just like teetering, you know, the debt bubble. I mean, war, um, you know, war, this Middle East uh, situation is very precarious and seems to be escalating. Now, you know, potentially you can explain these, these three elements with uh, Taiwan and China. Um, some people don't understand what's happening there, and I don't want to. I don't want to go too deep into it. But have you seen in history a time like this before? Can you, um, like, we're yeah? I mean, there's really parallels. There's parallels. Empire collapse times. <laughs> yeah, we have we have the Roman Empire collapsing. The Western Roman Roman Empire is 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 a period. The, the, that that period's a little bit worse than our period in some ways because we didn't have, there was no nobody existed as far as I could see during the period of the the Western Roman Empire collapse of the early fifth century that had a sufficient power to to do much about the collapse. I mean, it was really just you know just. Survive the the, the, <laughs> the other pagan hordes was were gonna just come out you know come in take control and and divvy up the territory and become new warlords which they did um and uh, there wasn't anything other than evil empire at that point maybe you had some things within the the eastern orthodox church that had broken off you know so they were able to to stay stay afloat for another thousand years before constantinople the what became the byzantine empire before that finally collapsed so there were certain certain moral elements within that, but overall it was corruption, insanity, death cults, pagan mystery religions, child sacrifice was the norm on a variety of levels. It what there was like little beacons of goodness. You know, you had the Augustinian movement of Platonists who were doing a moral battle against the mystery cults, even those Gnostic ones masquerading as Christianity. They were doing a very valiant battle, trying to do what they could to educate the orphans. Uh, you had St. Patrick conduct his you know um monastery operation in ireland keeping the, the 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 fire alive for a few you know a few centuries there was but it but there wasn't anything sufficient to actually deal with the organized power of the of the inner oligarchy and their families and their institutions that they use to manage their system of empire that there wasn't anything there that was viable um and in that sense I see some similarities both to co the collapse period of Rome, but I also see some similarities to the point a, a, a couple of hundreds of years after the Western Roman Empire collapsed and we had um, Charlemagne. And I see certain that's a positive thing. So yes. we have certain elements today of that Charlemagne impulse as well, which saw a Christian, Muslim, uh, Chinese, Confucian, Buddhist matrix in China under the Tang Dynasty, so you have the Tang Dynasty, the uh, the Abbasid Dynasty of Harun al Rashid. The, the the Christian world was represented primarily by Charlemagne, his father and his his son. When was this? What what's the time period? End of the eighth century, early ninth century. 
Um, you had a Jewish kingdom also in Khazaria at this exact same time, um, a, a, Turk, a Turkic kingdom that converted to Judaism in the north in today's Ukraine and Russia. But that was a coexistent uh, dynasty or, or kingdom within this matrix I'm describing. And, and during this time, um, one could see that there was a measurable uh, disruption to the oligarchy's power to control the world and an increased heightened capacity to have Renaissance processes in the, it's called the Carolingian Renaissance, the Abbasid Renaissance, the Tang Dynasty's uh, Renaissance period. These were periods which saw massive population growth, quality of life increase, uh, massive education of or orphans, massive uh, criminal reforms that took down power structures that were dominant in the Muslim, the Christian, as well as in the Chinese world, and uh, and also a lot of collaboration amongst Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and, and uh, Confucian um, scholars, soldiers that were working together. You had peace wow. processes being brokered left and right. Um, like Harun al-Rashid gave the Holy Land to Charlemagne to stop a, a crusade danger because the, the, the papacy in, in Rome was still sort of at... At different moments, the papacy did act okay throughout the last 2000 years but all, most of the time it's been a, a hub for for mystery cults to to carry out manipulations of uh of of target nations and there was an effort to create a christian versus muslim war as early as 800 or even the 790s using charlemagne to say and they were trying to say look you have to go and take back the holy land from the pagans the 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 the, the you know the 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 muslim pagans um, and, and Charlemagne was working hard to set out diplomatic envoys to build peace relations, to avoid this confrontation that he's being pushed into. And wow. these were always Jewish, uh, he always selected Jewish, um, diplomats to manage the embassies and to negotiate peace mm -hmm. deals because they were able to, um, they were all, in, they basically could say, well, look, we don't have a vested interest, but we can all trust each other because we believe in one God. We believe in Abraham. So there's a point of like. Uh, mm -hmm. trust you could agree upon and it was through there that the idea came about to uh to give where one of the jewish uh diplomats said to harun al-rashid why don't you just give the holy land and then you you and then he ha charlemagne will have the deed and you just protect it and he, harun al-rashid said yeah that's a great idea and he sent an envoy gave charlemagne an elephant and the deed to the holy really? land yeah what happened to that Deed. Uh, it went pretty well. It took them another 200 years before they were able to finally successfully initiate a crusade. So that that really threw off the timeline quite Whoa. nicely. Wow. But Charlemagne, he rode that elephant for like 20 years. He, Charlemagne was the Christian king with an elephant. That's what he that's where he rode not rode off into battle. Um, wow, what a people don't know the history of some of these great individuals that I mean, one person can make such a difference. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's amazing. And and so that, that's how I see t today is this great danger of a co systemic collapse of empire. But at the same time, I do see a confluence of civilizational mm -hmm. states representing very diverse, very different religious and cultural matrices. Uh, the You know, you have the Russian... Russians representing a Christian matrix. You've got mm -hmm. China representing a Confucian Buddhist matrix. You've got Iran and Saudi Arabia who are who have just joined the BRICS, the, the Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, but also now it's grown to include Saudi Arabia, Iran, UAE, uh, Ethiopia, as well as Egypt, who are all joined now. And they all represent very old ancient traditions mm -hmm. um, that are finding a way to work together and demonstrating that it's possible to break this there was this this 
evil idea that's never been right about the Crusaders that that two different uh, neighboring cultures cannot mm -hmm. coexist in peace. They have to war until the stronger forces the weaker to submit and is destroyed by the by the stronger. And the new crusaders came in with Henry Kissinger's a big new Brzezinski. And remember earlier, I mentioned the need to extend U.S. military supremacy into the Middle East and create radicalizing madrasas. Part of that involved the logic of Samuel P. Huntington, who was an assistant uh, to to the Trilateral Commission. He's the one who put forth the uh, the clash of the clash of civilizations doctrine, which posited following a thesis he basically got from Bernard Lewis, uh, a, a British intelligence operative who was also an advisor to the State Department and Trilateral Commission. Um, he was a, what's called an Orientalist. That um, that all, that because the, the different civiliza major civilizations are so different, they can only fight with each other unless you get a Leviathan in to impose order onto the the naturally mm -hmm. warring humans with their, well, their, you know. Yeah. And so today you have, again, mo a Muslim... Confucian, Buddhist, uh, Hindi, and India is a part of the BRICS. They're they're increasingly finding their their institutions working within that that matrix. The 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 Russian uh, Christians, as well as in uh, in Egypt again, another Muslim. So you have Shia, Sunni Muslims, all working with a different a new paradigm of looking for points of cooperation in well, defense of their people and of their institutions and morality in opposition to the death cult that I wants World that. War Three. I yeah. love that. And it reminds me of something we've touched on before, uh, this whole brainwashing, this Darwinian kind of survival of the fittest. Mm. We've been hijacked as humans into believing that. And mm. how many hundreds of years has that been shoved down our throat, this atheistic type of selfish survival of the fittest and no one benefits? And I feel like people are waking up to this higher whether it's God's law or nature, when you look at nature, actually cooperation brings mutual prosperity. And people don't realize that thousands or thousands of years ago, all of these faiths, they cooperated, different cultures cooperated for mutual success. So I see that too. It's, it is, although there's a lot of danger, there is a lot of danger. You'll probably go through that uh, in more detail for us and people know it. But there's a lot to be hopeful about as well, I think. There you don't know how it's going to play out, but, you know, I'm, yeah. hopeful. I'm hopeful. The good always wins, I think, because um, it's it, the, the good is uh, the good will uh, prevail. It's just how long it will take. Yeah, and, that's yeah. always a question. Eh? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that there are many good reasons to be hopeful, as you just pointed out. And I mean... I alluded to the BRICS uh, process, which is something which is, uh, I think, surprising a lot of people to see how it's manifesting and what policies are being made possible because of this convergence of these very diverse um, civilizational states. Um, we have, for the first time coming online or that already exist, alternative instruments of banking outside of the control of the IMF and the World Bank, like the BRICS Development Bank. There's the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank. There's the uh, there, there's a whole array of these things. Um, the New Silk Road Investment Fund. There's also other institutions that are growing, and there's a big waiting list for many more nations to grow. The more that they see the Western banking meltdown uh, that is going to wreak havoc on the lives of so many people, there's uh, increasing hunger to to be a part of these multilateral 
organizations like the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, like the Eurasian Economic Union, um, which are open. I mean, the, the leaders of it have made the point that any, anybody is allowed to join. They're not closed things like NATO or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of these G7 inner inner club things that are that are only for the 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 cool kids in the cafeteria although when you look at those sitting in the g7 they're they really don't qualify as the cool kids <laughs> maybe themselves yeah. Um, yeah. so it's um it's not just in name i i think it's important to look at what are they doing and for that reason and then you can sort of earn by doing the research and the thinking about it you can earn a positive sense of optimism because there there are a lot of sort of people who want to be optimistic, but just to have the feeling of optimism without really thinking too hard. <laughs> and I, I discourage that because you could find that these people will become easily very cynical uh, when their illusion is popped. Yes. Because it was founded upon a, na a naive, uh, lazy, lazy reasoning faith. Uh, hence, a lot of the people who became cynical because they gave Barack Obama uh, their faith when he promised hope and change, but it was not, there was never anything there. So, no. I mean, instead of becoming cynical and blame hope and change, blame the liar and blame yourself for believing in a lie, but don't yeah. let go of the believe in hope and in, in, in change. What do you make of Vivek, by the way? Because, uh, you know, I saw this like video yeah. where it was showing that he said exactly the same thing as Obama. It was like weird. And then all of a sudden he's implicated in all this uh, nanolipid particle stuff. And then bang, the next day he's uh, out of the race endorsing Trump. I and don't know. I Honestly, I'll be straight up. I yeah. don't know how to think about him. Um, I've I've enjoyed listening to him in many occasions. Yeah. But that's no reason to say that one should blindly not be critical about somebody either. There's also shady Scientologists, you know, circulating all over him and backing him and and weird Soros connections from his past yes. and stuff. That being said, you know, I know the re reality is complicated. I, I get it. The the game, the, po the politician game is complicated. Sometimes you got to um be a part of networks that you that you don't like in order to advance an agenda i i get it um as far as the nanolipid particle thing i didn't look into it so i don't know okay. but um no and then I, we have... I, I i do i still support trump and that's the thing like yeah. I, I trump has Me overall too. i've been a close watcher of him over years Me and too. despite the fact that he has said things that i find are is stupid sometimes criminally stupid despite that especially on the on the vaccine issue despite that um, he's been consistently disruptive in a way that I like to the mm -hmm. oligarchy's agenda. And he has acted in a way consistently that I see as being principled and part of this historic um, tradition of using constitutional law to make policy like like erasing NAFTA, scrapping NAFTA and creating right. giving na the nation state the right to use protective tariffs looking for peace amongst nations instead of looking for reasons to go to war with them, avoiding, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the whole deep state came down on him for a reason. And I do have a certain optimism. I hope he can stay alive. But I I am, I, I did like the fact that Vivek did make the shift and endorse him. That was smart. Yes, I um, like him too. And I, I have, I have my hunch on why he's uh, done what he has with the shots um, you know, I have my own inkling, but, you know, and he's very much Sun Tzu Art of War, you know, he, little bit of deception and, you know, appear weak when you're strong. I see that in some of the things he does, but 
He's exciting to watch. You never know. And he's funny. So he, the one thing is he doesn't fill people with fear, right? As a leader. And that's something I've learned from, he plays with the, the, the energies and that's why people are drawn to him. He's so like, I, I haven't been to one of his rallies, but I've talked to people I have, and they said, you come out of there pumped on fire, inspired, ready to take action for, you know, for change. That's a good leader, I think. And the, you, the long list of things he's accomplished. Um, yeah, I think we haven't seen the reason why he did what he did yet with the shots. Um, and, you know, when I studied healing and, um, you know, in detail as a, in the alternative healing sector, there is such a power with the placebo um, and people either hate him so much or love him. So I think he was in an awkward position because you can literally make yourself sick uh if you know with your thoughts so yes. anyways but uh it was interesting jp morgan recently came out and spoke highly of him that was a first on national tv well J jamie diamond said basically he was being a realist and he was basically trying to speak to his fellow you know democratic shills who are incapable of sort of just looking at reality and and self-criticizing and he's like look the reason why trump is successful and it's it's mystifying you is simply that he's saying things that are tied to what people are concerned by concerned with in reality and you're not <laughs> so it's, it's like so basic but people don't yeah. get basic things sometimes no they they want to believe their own uh, their their own vision of reality instead of reality itself and they become addicted to the the illusion that they casted cuz that's the thing right i mean don't don't do your own drugs says the drug dealer right the drug dealer even the drug dealer knows you don't do your own drugs. You sell it for for to make people addicted to you um, and make money. Whereas these guys are doing their own drugs. Their drug just happens to be, um, I mean, maybe in some cases they are like Hunter Biden, right? Or Zelensky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are doing, but yeah. <laughs> but that's actually literal. But at the same time, yeah. they're, they're they're putting out a messaging of a false illusion of how great the world is that they created and want to preside over. But then they start believing this lie themselves, and then that could be useful for creative people who want to, you know, do something about these creeps because they're predictable because they're so delusional with their own self deceit. And so mm -hmm. they can't see reality. And that's where you have to act, you know, as somebody in the engaged in, in policies, reality is still reality, despite what people want to want it to be and their perceptions. It's still reality. Um, so it Trump, is, Trump is responding to that. Yeah, he's amazing. And Plato is someone you've studied in such detail. It's it's his Plato's allegory of the cave, right? Yeah. It's so it's it really is when you see someone still like in Canada in their car with a mask on or outside with a mask on. Sometimes I have this sort of image of that because they are they're in that cave, you know, so worried about the shadows. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's what an amazing uh, person he was. And and do you think of the, it's a great time to study some of these uh, great thinkers and people who really, I, I think this is a time to really get deep in your studies and reading. Can you recommend any books for someone who's just starting down the path for philosophy for Plato? I would think if, if uh, yes. Um, well, I did like a, I recently published an introduction to Plato and the battles in science as a book called The Science Unshackled. So a little shameless self-promotion there. I, yes, I, I would encourage people maybe to read that as a starting point, which situates 
Plato as a person within a, a broader geopolitical struggle and, and sets situates the ideas that he fought for within his dialogues, within a context um, that leads us all the way through the clash of the two different currents of science, scientific traditions, one being a potent, very human scientific tradition stemming out from Plato's work on the Timaeus dialogue, on the Theotetus, on the Mino, in terms of uh, a study of how discoveries are made by both going inward and outward at the same time, that you you both go and explore the universe outside of yourself while at the same time doing it the only competent way is to dialectically have a conversation with your own assumptions, constantly self-examine your own core assumptions as you test out new ideas, mm -hmm. see where ideas you thought might be true break down when 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 um, pressed upon the the evidence of reality and you look for the, the paradoxes, you look for the, the cracks. So that, that potent method and then generating a new, better solution concept through a creative action that is both informed by reason but isn't bounded by pure logic is, is the platonic method. But it's also tied, it's not just a, a cold method, it's one that's tied to a love of truth, a love of the creator, a love of yourself. And these are very, uh, these are ideas that I think that people could read most clearly in, um, if you go through the book, it'll it'll give you a brushstroke, but then to go into the concrete details, I think uh, Plato's Gorgias, his Mino dialogue, his Apology are really great things to start with. Uh, the the Phaedo dialogue on the, on the immortality of the soul is a really good one to chew on. To just discover, hey, can we know if we have a soul? How what how how can we use reason to both verify that there must be a soul, and if there is a soul, that it is immortal and not as as finite as our bodies. That's the whole fight, Phaedo dialogue on the last day of Socrates' life. Um, Saint Augustine wrote in Platonic dialogues all the time. I loved his uh, on the free choice of the will. That mm -hmm. starts with the question of if evil exists, does that mean God created evil? And is does that also mean that God wants evil? Or what is evil if, if God didn't create it? How do we know? And then it's an exploration in a, a platonic dialogue. Very well done. Three books. Very but small. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very comprehensive soul Excellent. food. Um, so there's things like that. Yeah. yeah, I know. And and please, uh, for those people who don't subscribe to Matthew's uh, Substack and his website, can you just give everyone your, your contact? Because I just, I love getting your stuff. And when I can, I listen to some of your podcasts. So for new people, this guy cool. is a must subscribe, must watch and get his books too. Cool. Thank you. Um, yeah. Well, I Matthew, my Substack is um, matthewerritt.substack.com. Uh, canadianpatriot.org has a lot of material every day. There's new stuff. Um, all, the whole program for Canada's history, uh, what worked throughout our history to build Canada to fight the oligarchy, to to become more free. That that story is up in the mission statement area. Um, RisingTideFoundation.net is a more cultural, educational uh, platform I created with my wife, Cynthia, uh, some years back. That's another different type, but similar spirit of soul food that we try to provide there. Excellent. And then the books, uh, Clash of yeah. Two Americas, Untold History of Canada, they're all on CanadianPatriot.org. You can find, buy my books all over the page. All, all and over. don't forget, I want to order a bunch of your, a couple of your new books be before we go, sure. um, if I can get them from you. But we're on the, the truth. So it's been a strange and crazy world, uh, you know, for me since COVID. And I was, uh, you know, I started really, um, really speaking out about what I thought was the unsafe shot, which turned out to be quite unsafe and lost a lot of friends, you know, lost my partner, everyone kind of left, but it, I've, I've stepped into something just incredible. 
um, and learned so much and met all these new people, it's been an incredible adventure. And I mean, I've never felt more excited to be alive and stronger and learn more. But at the same time, it's what is truth, because within a lot of these freedom groups, you got everything from aliens to I don't know what. It's like the gamut is from A to Z on what people believe now. And it's like crazy. And I have to get, a, I, I really try to have a, as an athlete, like discerning mind. Because what is truth? What the heck's going on now? Can you give us paint a picture connecting the dots, maybe geopolitically? What is going around, going on? Around, what is the truth about what's going on in the world now? And what maybe you can predict over the next year or so? based on your historical I, knowledge. If you can, maybe you can't yeah. predict, but what is going on yeah. now? We don't know. Even well, Tucker Carlson's talking about aliens now. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure Tucker's uh, not an honest agent, uh, not an honest player. Um, okay, so um, I wrote in my volume four of The Clash of the Two Americas on the Anglo-Venetian roots of the deep state. There's uh, the... It's separated into several five acts for each act has about five to eight chapters within the acts. And the first act, no, second act, has about six chapters, each dealing with different conspiracy theory models to explain our meta-narratives using one or more assumptions that I deal with. How do you know? They can't all equally be true. So how do you know if either some of them are true or none of them are true? So what is a what is a... What is the science of analyzing human history with a sensitivity to the causal effect of ideas and conspiracies as a unifying causal factor in human life? Planets move according to matters of gravity, electromagnetism. These are the, the dynamics, not free will, not ideas. The planet's not going to wake up and say today, Mars, I feel like Mars not going to wake up saying I feel like Venus. A human can wake up and all of a sudden say I feel like a girl, even though I got a, a schlong. That's different for humans because we have free will, we have ideas, we got to, you know, so we're more complex, but they're still, we're still lawful and the lawfulness is, is everything. So, um, I, I, I looked at, you know, one chapter is on the, the Jewish conspiracy theory thing. Like, so that, that is where are the holes, each one kind of satisfies certain empirical conditions, which is why they're successful because they satisfy certain empirical data, but they're, but they all have common flaws. The, the Galactic Federation of UFO Aliens ETs thing, the um, the Jesuit conspiracy. It's like, is, is is am I saying that there's no Jesuit conspiracy? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying that there's no Jewish bankers? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying that people didn't actually see and have not seen things with their eyes over the course of 80 years that are unidentified flying objects? I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is the interpretation uh what that which is framed to give us a sense of satisfaction that explains what we are seeing of as far as Jesuit conspiracies, um, sociopathic Rothschild bankers who have Jewish names but are ultimately satanic. What is the framing? What is the reality? How is it? And how is it? How how are dishonest players utilizing these things to make to to make the false appear true, or to 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 lose context? Um, so in my analysis, um, first of all, I would just say people should. If they're able to read those, read that book or those chapters yes, and, and think about yeah. it, um, if you want free, if people are watching this and they don't have the, the resources, I always tell people send, you know, I'll send you a free PDF. If you send me an email, um, oh, just asking it. Geez. At 
What yeah, a nice guy uh, too. You and your wife are just like if everyone was a little bit more like that. Just think of the world we'd be creating. Wow. Well, she's like you know, like people need That's bullets. So nice. You know, they're they're fighting and they're 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 out of ammunition. It's like, wait, I'm not gonna. I've got bullets. Why can't you? Wow. I'll, I will give you bullets That's... if you ask for bullets. So all that to say, um, you send an email to Canadian Patriot 1776 at tutanota.com. I'll send you a PDF if you ask. Um, so start with that. The, the, the thing about misinformation is it's ripe, it's everywhere, but, but you as an athlete, um, most people know something, you know, if you're a, a, a carpenter, you know, something, if you have learned to trade, you know, something, if you're, you know, a farmer, you know, things, and you know, that as you came to know that, which is your trade or your life, you couldn't be sloppy minded. You couldn't skip steps. You had to be disciplined. Um, such that you wouldn't draw, uh, make false judgments that were not informed by reason. And I find a lot of people who are very competent in in medicine, in in a handicraft and a variety of things are really competent people, but they don't treat their minds with the same respect that they treat their trade. And then when it comes to trying to analyze um, concepts of, of political history and geopolitics, they're very willing to not think for themselves and look for some authority that charms them, that can tell them what the right answers are rather than them having thought for themselves. And that's where we always go askew. Um, so always think, think at the end of the day, don't give your convictions to anything you haven't fully proven through your acts of sovereign reasoning yourself as a discovery and build upon those discoveries. Um, and there's, you could start anywhere. Um, throughout mm -hmm. history, you can start looking at the Roman Empire, its causes for collapse, build knowledge. And then that knowledge that you've discovered is a reference that you use when you take into an analysis of uh, how Britain became an empire or why did Britain fight the Dutch or how did the Dutch also get uh, go from a, an anti-imperial resistance movement against the Habsburgs into becoming a base of operations for the, for evil Anglo-Dutch operatives like Prince Bernhard or that went back centuries before. So you can you're always referencing back to say, OK, does my new knowledge or my new hypothesis fit with something I really have discovered to be true? Or does it, does my, my thinking contradict itself? Um, yeah. As an example, this is a great practical example for mm -hmm. like probably a largely Canadian audience is a lot of people are so concerned about what's happening with the banking. And what they say is we have to decentralize completely to avoid the corruption in the future. Um, and that that may not be, you know, what do you think of that? And, and maybe false, you explain it's a, it's a, it well. It's a, it's a false dualism. The oligarchy controls us by creating false dualisms. So, like, for example, you can promote uh, this is how. OK, look, look at how the 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 um, the masses were manipulated to overthrow or destabilize the Russian government in the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th century. Right. Bolsheviks, so, right. Yeah, and, and there were there 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 was um foreign agencies tied to Wall Street, London banks, the Milner group was was big on this, pouring money into um organizing poor, disenfranchised, alienated people who had been rightfully abused. They had been abused mm -hmm. and they had good cause for grievance against corruption of with it that was that was very powerful. They had all of the right like mm -hmm. you could say they they had reasons for being very angry right. with uh <laughs> the rampant corruption within the state that was colluding with their their the 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 those who were exploiting the people. But there was also um 
Abraham Lincoln followers working and battling with the the these corrupt institutions within the Russian state as well, trying to and they were doing a, a serious top down battle to uh, break the oligarchy's controls and also usher in an age of progress using the Lincoln greenback within Russia as a model. So to disrupt that, they created this, they weaponized the masses to basically have this angry, anger-based philosophy of the victim wanting revenge against the exploiter. So you mm. get the exploited, whether it was, you know, and, and you could always name a minority group, right? There's uh, there's reasons for women to feel grievance mm -hmm. for the past. Everybody times. could, yeah. yeah and, and, and Blacks and everybody has a, has a lot of, of injustice that was done to them in the past and into the present, you know, there's a yes. lot of reasons to feel like a victim, to feel angry at those, but then at somebody, yeah, yeah, at somebody, the question is, do you, do, do you think like Martin Luther King or do you think like, like an Antifa burned down uh, the state type of thinking? Right. Um, so that was what was done then. And as a counter response was this right wing reactionary response to that process of general anarchy where good and bad people like, got killed when the state was overthrown there were when it was too decentralized so then mayhem ruled you're saying it was just like like oh, kind of yeah. like warlords I mean, that yeah, we're you know people like uh like like mikhail bakunin um uh kropotkin peter kropotkin who were anarchist um anarcho um mystics occultists who were they were and you have to kind of be whether you know it or not an occult uh a a, a, a mystic if you think that the anarchistic way of of organizing so society is actually viable as these guys were because, and they were the ones who were engaging in terrorist activity, trying to bomb things because the, the idea was personal uh, individual uh, freedom to do whatever you want to do, AKA Crowley's Thelema uh, philosophy, you know, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. That's the law of, of Crowley mm -hmm. of Thelema of the Satanist um, independent of as if everybody is a, is is an atom without context, right? Everybody is an island. That that and the, the maximum good is just the maximum right to do as you see fit, to to, to satisfy your your lusts and to avoid pain. Mm -hmm. That that's so. Has that ever worked out in in history that you know of? That sort of no, no, it's never worked. no, it's never. never. It's it's only been used to tear things down that were built by other philosophies. So you can imp impose that onto an already existent viable economy as a new ethos, as was done under globalization. This idea of just privatize everything, let the private sector make all the decisions, let and and deregulate the system, dereg end Glass-Steagall, end banking regulation, stop national planning. You can do that. And things might continue to, to exist for a little bit longer, but there's going to be an acceleration of decay because all of a sudden, what's the monetary incentive to improve upon or even maintain the infrastructure that had been built up before you did that. Um, none. And th things decay. Um, and then you have a wealth transfer too, because if there's no nation states representing the interests of the people, which are the we are the government, if that nation state abrogates its responsibilities to defend the people and to keep protectionism and to do these other things, then of course the the mergers and acquisitions that would formerly have been illegal are going to happen in, in a, like, like what happened in the 80s and 90s. As the the private sector ends up getting more power, practical power than the nation itself, and then use things like like the Bilderberger committee groups or Davos to organize their their desire for 
some form of oligarchical collectivism. Now, yeah. that doesn't answer the first question you had about the left versus right thing, because the way that the the way the game was played back in the 20s was that with the the emergence of the Bolshevik um, revolution, and I'm I'm open to certain good people within the Bolshevik movement that were that did do good things, but there was this broader contamination of the Kropotkin anarcho uh, Trotskyists, even who mm -hmm. were a very different breed. There were in response Nazi fascists who were then saying, "Okay, we're horrified." by the the collapse of moral values the collapse of the traditions the collapse of the security of order of the state caused by this mass uprising of the oppressed and so we're going to now rally around the strong man and we're going to look for a strong authoritarian figure to impose dignity and order and that became sort of the role model of the mussolini of the hitler of the you know the the, the various the socialists were they under socialism i mean this gets confusing to people because then yeah. it's this two sides of the same okay well it's because both sides came out of because yeah hitler came out of the national socialist party mussolini was a socialist but they were they they were puppets for what's a new movement of the late 19th century called imperial socialism and that, that was a new term adopted by the Fabian Society. Lord Milner of the Roundtable Movement was, was an imperial socialist, H.G. Wells, any besant of a theosophist. So the theosophists also played a role in promoting international uh, imperial socialism, um, which basically just meant give the slaves a little bit of a, so, a, a security net. Give the slaves a few things that, that pacify them and give them a false sense of freedom that their overlords love them or maybe care about them and then they'll be happy as being slaves because we're not going to do it the old way, which was formerly just, you know, destroy the natives, break their will, uh, starve them to death. That creates too much uncertainty because then people... Communism. Well, then people will see the shackles. They'll they will be able to or, they will tend to organize resistance movements against the empire. Whereas with the social imperialism, it was a softer empire, a little yes. bit more like you know, let's just wrap you in a blanket and then you won't mind being kept under water because you'll you'll be under this cozy blanket. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> analogy. What do you think of Millet, uh, the Argentinian president at the World Economic Forum? Did you hear what he said about you know the uh, Argentina used to be like a great world leader, you know, thriving economy? I did I did listen to him being interviewed by Tucker Carlson, and wow, like like a huge number of the people don't work now. 70% or some like some massive number because it's they're just on us, you know, social security he said socialism 80 years of it has been a complete failure. Now he's going to be ushering in, you know, total, you know, free market capitalism, um, and has ripped a lot, a lot of services. It sounds really promising. But uh, we'll see how that, you know, see what happens. I mean, what do you think about some of these new leaders and some of the things going on? around the world well i'll just say malay is a disaster um he it's an example of how people can be charmed hearing the right words because he says all the right things it's kind of like listening to hitler saying all the right things um it, it vocally but then in terms of what he does and i'm not talking here about what he said about the jews and all that stuff and mind comp that was terrible but he will if you actually look at some of the speeches he was talking about international bankers conspiracies trying to destroy the will of the people destroy our our, our heritage or values he's saying all these things that were true that were, there wasn't a conspiracy to do that but then What's your criticism of Malay, like the main ones a lot of people love him like it sounds like he's going to turn 
like he's getting rid of all the woke stuff in Argentina. What's your main criticism for those? Well, because he's pegging the entire Argentinian economy to the U.S. dollar and um, breaking out of. Yeah, the, the U.S. dollar is a collapsing Titanic. It's designed to collapse and he's tying it to he's committing the Argentinian world to that, to the vulture funds, the, the private financier vulture funds that created this parasitical debt slavery system over decades over Argentina. Argentina. Um, so he's recommitting to be under the control of BlackRock, the vulture funds that that were doing predatory lending on, and buying up junk bonds and, and, and Argentinian debt and then speculating upon it. That's yeah, what the I former know. government of Nestor Kirchner tried to uh, stop and actually say that we're going to cancel our debt repayments to the, the the parasites on Wall Street in London. And he got he died. I think he was probably poisoned. His wife was was then overthrown. Um, I think that the the whole thing of of privatizing the economy as well, in order with the presumption that these private sector interests are going to do a better job. Than you than the government could is the exact same thing that got us into this crisis under Mulroney and mm -hmm. under NAFTA. It's the exact same logic that's being applied once again, uh, but now to Argentina, and it never worked before. Um, the slashing of of unions and social security and other things. I agree that the government bureaucracy is too fat, but at the same time, going to the other extreme is not good either. Yes. People are going to die. They're going to starve. And uh, the only way I think that there could have been a viable recon. Also, he recom recommitted Argentina to the Paris Accords. The first thing he did when he got in is he signed the Paris really? Accords. Really? Wow. Yeah. For That's... decarbonization, it's it, it's going to demand a total uh, collapse of whatever little industry is has been is there. Wow. Well, um, I have to say, uh, just uh, for people who don't know, the only part federal party in Canada that will exit the Paris Crows at this moment is People's Party. That's <laughs> one of the reasons I, I'm using that shirt, and I think it's, uh, you know, it's it's a good platform. That is interesting about him. Yeah, is there any other red flags before we move on? Um, yeah, but I mean, that's I threw out some big ones right there. That is huge. So what about some of these other things, China and Taiwan? What's going on there as uh, people get concerned about, you know, World War Three? That's like it's they've been, you know, pushing this for I don't know how many years now I've been hearing about World War Three. Well, Taiwan is uh, went through a color revolution under the U.S. State Department and well, specifically the National Endowment for Democracy back in 2014, the same month that or the same year that the Ukrainians were put through their own color revolution under the U.S. That was also done under the, the Sunflower Revolution in um, in Taiwan that overthrew a uh, um, a government of the Kuomintang Party, which was formally finalizing a massive trade deal with with mainland China. I mean, keep in mind, Taiwan's trade, 53% of it goes to mainland China and about the same proportion comes from China, mainland China to Taiwan. They're separated by 186 kilometers. It's like nothing. It's super mm -hmm. close. Um, so that government that was finalizing a trade deal under the Kuomintang, they were ousted. This pro-US um, militarist party was brought in. And they began doing deals illegally um, with the U.S. military, signing all sorts of contracts to bring in U.S. military advisors to train the Taiwanese military, to send to send the Taiwanese military to the U.S. for training there to be brought back as a part of a front, a, a disposable 
um, beachhead in an oncoming war against China. Uh, the U.S. military is the key right now to understand that dynamic since they have over 150,000 troops spread out across uh, the Pacific uh, in Japan, 56,000 in uh, South Korea, 28,000. Uh, the Philippines has just opened four new U.S. military bases as well. Um, there is a, there's a huge expansion in what's called the Indo-Pacific strategy of NATO in the U.S. Canada's got its own Indo-Pacific strategy that's part of this thing. Um, and the fear is that um, if there is an independence, if, if Taiwan declares independence, because currently they're, they're, they're a province of China. They're not a sovereign country. Only 13 nations in the world recognize Taiwan as a sovereign entity. But Canada, the U.S. even officially don't re recognize any independence. It's it's an autonomous province. Um, so to do deals with foreign governments as a province is already really weird. Like imagine, you know, Puerto Rico doing a military deal with uh, Russia, you know, it's Puerto Rico's a, a province. Uh, it's a state of uh, without representation within the U.S. It's kind of the same thing. So the fear is that if they did that, they would become um, a U.S. military base, as Ukraine has become or is is going to become if they're allowed in on NATO uh, to go into NATO or or any of these these former satellites of the Soviets, Poland or others, have become essentially U.S. military colonies, as part with with a mil a missile shield directed to target Russia um, and take out their ability to to respond to a nuclear attack. That's part of a game theory agenda. That's also why the U.S. has set, set up THAAD missile shields in, in South Korea. They want to do similar things. They've, they've got the Japanese to change their constitution from a pacifist constitution a couple of years ago into a, a new constitution that allows for Japan to engage in um, aggressive war in defense of their allies. So this is what they want to do also for Taiwan. Um, so China is very concerned about that. Um, the new government is pro-independence, but they haven't made a maneuver to declare independence. If they did, China would be forced to go in physically and, and invade. So China would much rather take the patient route, as Deng Xiaoping had said back in 1978, reunification is on is going to happen, but we can wait till 2050 to make it happen. Um it, it might have to happen before that, according to the Chinese calculus, if, you know, because they cannot toler tolerate having a U.S. military colony right there at their border like that. And the U.S. is already sending in ships uh, to try to, into Chinese waters to try to progressively um, saber rattle. Mm -hmm. So, wow. yeah, we're, but the West is being lied to quite a bit about, you know, some romantic version of the democratic pro pro American Taiwanese who just want independence from the evil Chinese and it's it's a lot of propaganda that we're being given that is turning us into champions of World War Three. Um, I, I noticed that, and it's like, uh, you know, the, 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 I guess you called it, and many people, the neocons, always warmongering. I mean, yeah. it's they're having a heyday now with like this. Now we're brewing another conflict. Now, however. I mean, it seems likely that very soon there will be some sort of a peace agreement with uh, Russia and Ukraine. There's too many people slaughtered. It's just a bloodbath. And I I heard uh, one of the Russians, I forget which one, you might remember his name, say now they had a chance to negotiate peace, but now it's going to be on Russian terms. So I think they're going to take territory. 
uh, a number of territories, Odessa and some of those regions. Do you think that's going to happen in the next few months or have you heard anything more recently what's going on that region of the world? I'm going to reserve. Uh, things are so fluid in that area, but I, I see I, I agree with you and I, I do see that um, there is an there is. Uh, a different, a definite shift from the former strategy that saw Ukraine as being a part of NATO and was going to recapture its lost territories from Russia. That's that's over now. Zelensky is going to be flushed. Um, who's going to be brought in to replace him? I'm not sure, but it's going to be somebody who's got a bit more of a friendly, a, a, a Russian friendly image. There's a few options. Um, the likelihood that Russia is going to take its advantage and extend that to Odessa is probably it's an it's a, it's a probable hypothesis. Um, they're definitely not going to you're not going to see East Donbass or Crimea going back to Ukraine as as some Western no. uh, wishful thinkers would have it, um, and and that's fine. Um, if Odessa goes to Russia, that would secure Russia's perimeter a lot more, and that would be fine. But I mean, Russia still has a non-negotiable demand, not only that Ukraine not join NATO, but also that it be denazified. There is a serious Nazi problem that is a systemic long-term threat that is unresolved that has to be dealt with. I have no idea what that's going to look like. I I just don't yeah. know. People say that, like denazification, they kind of just drop this as if, of course, everyone knows what that means. But really, I've learned nobody really knows what it means. It, it, I've come like I've interviewed one gentleman who's the closest said it's an ideology, just like the jihad ideology, where if you told they, they train these people and if you told them to run into a wood chipper, they would because they're mm. that indoctrinated under sort of this this cult i guess you could say uh, to do whatever they're told and i don't know um yeah. and that 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 also includes great violence to their own people yeah. you know you hear about these horrors then you don't know if they're true or not but what about canada i mean it, it seems like a like i listened to this uh ufc fighter really go in to canadians recently calling them you know weak and wimps and you know just like our image has been tarnished so badly not just with trudeau but with you know other than the truckers i mean which is a real high moment in the last years there's been a lot of lows with canadian compliance and wokeness and apathy you know it reached a real ultimate low when the paper read that you know trudeau's getting sanitary products in the men's washrooms you know all of them i think that was designed to infuriate sometimes i think there's these uh white hat they, i do believe there are people who are trying to wake people up i mean it just seems so obvious some of the stuff they're printing but canada is there hope for a resurgence what is what are you seeing um happening and what and do people can people draw hope from it in the past with Canada. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I I agree with you that the, I mean, the spirit of the Freedom Convoy is is something which is still exerting influence and inspiring many people, including the truckers in Germany, hundreds, uh, over 100,000, uh, not truckers, sorry, uh, farmers. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, have taken to all of the major cities in Germany and are, are doing some incredibly uh, interesting, disruptive interventions in defense of their right to exist and the right for, yes. for nations to exist. I love that. Um, I totally support them. Yes. Yeah, that's inspiring. And you see it also in, in the Netherlands. The fight is still on and, and Belgium and a variety of other places. So, I mean, there there's this. That being said, yeah, there's a there's this other disappointing aspect that uh, 
that presented itself in the Canadian uh, psyche um, of, of a tendency to to go go along to get along a little bit too readily. And I think our, our representation is very demoralizing just to see that this is, you know, <laughs> this is the, the quality of, of elected representation of our democratic rules based order. Oh, boy. Um, it's Bad. it's yeah, yeah very much so and and so you know you see the the acceleration of made of euthanasia policies to kill off the excess useless eaters mm -hmm. um the the extension of made to almost everybody even people who are just simply addicted to drugs can access this now um people who are depressed they're they don't even increasingly need to have any kind of real th like danger to their life disease wise to still get a get a, a taxpayer funded pill um, as well as government funding for uh, people's drug addictions at the same time, right? So yeah. there's so many Canadians receiving government-subsidized uh, hard drugs, um, methamphetamines and, 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 and fentanyl and other things that are just killing people, destroying their lives, and then make, giving them the out to, to, to get a, another kind of pill that'll just totally end it when that becomes too unbearable. So it's, it's, there is this very fascist program right now and I see that the way I see it, the federal government, it's a lot more difficult to imagine that just being taken by nationalists um, because the corruption factor is so high on the federal level that I the, I see it kind of like Alberta represents a spark of a fight that I mm -hmm. think can spread and should be studied in terms of how a province in Canada has an ex a huge amount of constitutional power to bypass the federal authorities on a variety of things as far as controlling our, their own national res uh, their own provincial resources uh dispatching their own uh, health and educational policies and services like the provinces can e the provinces can even make foreign treaties can now, I does ask that a question because yeah. a few people who um were concerned about I mean I think she's doing great but people who uh you know the other side uh, they said to me, um, I always test these things out with my family members who don't believe a word I'm saying. They're like, I hate her because she's trying, you know, she's trying to take back the Alberta pension. And then Polia was trying, there was like a, a play back and forth with the Canadian pension plan. Do you know anything about that? Um, you know, because this is the money of, that people have put into these programs for their whole life. And, you know, is she worried that the pension will collapse? And trying to protect the pensions of Albertans. I, I listen to what she says because she seems to be the only politician who's awake in Canada. Yeah, I think I think that that's that's what's on her mind. I think that there's the um, the fact that most of the Canadian major pensions have been under the control of technocrats who have used their influence over the pensions in not just the federal and provincial pensions, but, but also the nursing pensions, the teachers pensions, these plans are, it's huge pots of capital that have been used to amplify the green new deal to try mm -hmm. to like pour money. Cause where's the money coming from? Is there like this demand for windmills all over the place? No, people don't demand windmill energy. Like they know that that's a bad investment. So where's the investment money coming from? It's coming from those who have taken control of the pension plans that mm -hmm. it, it, these things are are then giving an artificial fake sense of of demand that is then justifying a market in market language why this is the pathway for the future green new deal um but in reality it's part of the big kill because these types of energy 
programs are going to result in a castrated nation state with no ability to sustain its own people with crap poor energy that is super expensive and it's going to you know yeah. only be affordable to a few so i, I think, think yeah, people are waking up to that I, I i mean even you know just about anyone i talk to they see they see all these issues with electric vehicles they see the you know, the cost and all the inputs, a lot of videos around the, with the slave labor in Africa and Congo for some of the, the, the components and, you know, windmills freezing now in Alberta. I mean, it just doesn't even make sense. And yet the local governments are implementing these climate agendas. Most of them, my region has declared a climate emergency, you know, and when they sign themselves over with the Harper and Mulroney government, now with these ICLEI, they're implementing all of these smart city and agendas and, and yeah. you know, Polyab's pushing the high density housing, the mass migration that goes with it, then the chaos, right? Then they need more structure and control, then they need the surveillance systems. It's all there. And it, but it can be stopped. A lot of people I'm I'm going to be presenting to our local council again next week. But people are now presenting on a regular basis to hold these elected officials at the local level accountable for the climate agenda because it's impoverishing people and it's destroying uh, our energy security as well as food security with net zero. I think people are waking up. I'm really encouraged about that side That's of it. Good. Local action. It's federal that I find really troublesome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what advice would you give to a newly elected MP uh, <laughs> to do the greatest good for their country as a historian, like from your vantage point? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that and I'm very inspired Tish, by your own uh, perseverance and mission to your, your self mission that you've given yourself to to be a, a real active agency for the good. Um, I think this is what every Canadian citizen can do, right? Whether it's running as an MP as you are, or whether it's running as an MLA, or whether it's even running for a city council, um, participate, you know? I mean, school boards as well. There, There's a variety of things that will become more corrupted to the degree that good people don't do anything. So to the degree that we actually take responsibility as as citizens we are no longer subjects and a subject is somebody who expects the government to think for them and live for them in a sense and take care of everything um, a citizen is somebody who recognizes that we are the government so um i think right there you've you've done a remarkable amount of work as a role model as well just sort of demonstrating that you you're fed up you're not going to take this anymore you've got a, a better understanding um of our past of the corruption of the present and of the pathways to the future. And with that comes a power and a responsibility that we all have with, with this kind of knowledge that we've earned, if we've really earned it. And you're not trying to take actions without having studied. That's, I think, one of the biggest things I would say to people tr getting into political action mode is to s don't take actions that are not informed with your direct uh, rigorous knowledge of things that you've earned. If you do that, as good as your heart might be, you will do damage to the cause of freedom and the truth. Um, you see it all the time when people feel a lot of conviction over something that they they don't really understand. And the best way to destroy the truth is a poor defense of the truth. A weak defense does more damage to the truth than a lie. Um, so it's, it's complicated, and that's why I ha I'm I've been so grateful to have you come into my life to to really learn. The past, what worked, what didn't, 
who was um, corrupt, who maybe um, went about things the wrong way, a little too, you know, uh, the way that the way that those who were able to implement good did it, it was very, it's been very educational. Thank you for all the work you've done. It's been incredible. I hope um, and I, you know, I feel there will be a real rough year, but I think over the next few years, we'll see a lot of good things happening. The yeah. youth are waking up. I've never had more support from young people, um, which I really like. And I'm really trying to reach out. I've been learning TikTok and all this stuff. So, yeah, anything you want in closing, uh, just again, where we can reach you and your books. I'd like to get a, uh, a whole bunch. So don't don't leave right away. I just want to get some books from you. Well, I'll send you a bunch of free free copies. Yeah. Um... Uh not a problem. Uh, yeah, no, people can go to CanadianPatriot.org, RisingTideFoundation.net, or MatthewArrett.Substack.com and get either the free Substack uh, subscription um, or upgrade to the paid. And that will give you access to all of the live events that I host twice a week. Um, so you can participate in those classes and discussion groups. And quick, uh, everyone wants to know, Trump, what's going to happen this year with Trump? I'm impressed so far. Is he going to get assassinated? Is uh, what's going to happen with Trump? What's your prediction? Anything? I hope he pulls another miracle. I I mean I'm I'm Me I'm weary. I'm I'm weary and obviously uh, stressed out a little bit because I they the the oligarchy is willing to kick over the chessboard before allowing him to win and there's a lot of damage yes. they could do. Um, but he's he's persevered in ways that I I most most men would have given up a long time ago. So uh, yeah, power to him and and God, I really. I, I don't believe in QAnon, but I do believe that there are people on the inside who are patriots who don't want to preside over the destruction of their nation. Um, and I do hope he's got a really good team <laughs> and network that he's able to interface with to uh, to organize as, as you know, as we go. And forward. what about Robert Kennedy Jr.? What do you, what's your thoughts on him as the independent? Will he pull votes away from Trump? Like what's going to happen there? Or do you think he'll become his vice president potentially? He said he wouldn't, but. I don't know. I've I've been remarkably underwhelmed uh, and highly disappointed by his performance. He's he's come out good on the on the one single issue of the vaccines and a few other elements about his father and, and uncle uh, and the CIA complex that killed them. These are good things to talk about. But when it comes to anything that I know really is strategic, he's completely on board with the the you know the the decarbonization agenda uh, to mm -hmm. to stop I the non-existing glo global warming. He's he's all for shutting down global nuclear power. Yes, he's I to shut down Indeed yeah. Point in in New York that he still heralds as the biggest you know thing, <laughs> the biggest success yeah. story. Uh, he's into uh, stopping industrial agriculture which I agree industrial agriculture when it's done done under Monsanto is bad. But at the same time, there's 8 billion people. And if you want to do it the way Vendana and he want to do it and Prince Charles, King Charles want to do it. I listened to that in, one. Yeah. yeah Although, a lot of people are going to die. I, uh, yeah. That's an interesting topic for another day. Cause I, yeah. I, there's a book I wanted to send you um, on the GMO that yields don't go up like GMO foods. There's such a toxicity, but there are other ways of going about large-scale farming um that really could be kind of interesting to discuss but yeah i mean that the, it seems like fusion and nuclear power is such a great way to go about low-cost energy for the masses for the future so yeah I, I take a different i'm 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 on that camp and disagree with him on that as well but uh 
Yeah, it'd be interesting. Well, we'll have to do another one later on. And thank you so much as always, Matthew. Have a great sure. evening. Take care. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Bye, Bye now.